Welcome to Vertical Insights, a podcast series brought to you by CA Ventures, bringing you an in-depth look at the commercial real estate industry through the lens of CA's resident subject matter experts. I'm Robert Maddock. And I'm Megan Nam, And this is Vertical Insights. And we're back. It's a new year. Megan, how are you? Episode six, by the way. Now we can actually use two hands when we talk about how many podcasts we've done. We are growing. It's very exciting. And you know what's the most exciting is that we're not running out of exciting things to talk about. I'm pumped for 2021. I know you are as well. We had a wonderful guest with us today. We had President and Global Head of Property Management, Steve Boyack. What did you think of Steve's comments in his interview today? I think he brings so much experience to the table. I think he's done really great things in terms of progressing, innovating, diversifying CA's property management platform. He just brings a really unique, fresh perspective to things and and his focus on innovation in a sense that is completely value-driven for all of his key stakeholders, from our residents to his staff to our capital partners and everyone in between is really exciting. And I think this episode, more than anything, got me really looking forward to see what the property management team has in store for us over the next couple of years. Yeah, he's certainly built a uh, quite an impressive team. He's mentioned people numerous times, and I think he's put CA management services in a position to succeed in the future and help really differentiate our entire product set and really highlights kind of how CA is vertically integrated and what that means, not only for our residents, but for everyone who's a part of CA. Absolutely. And and as much as we all want to stop talking about COVID and kind of have a different perspective on things, it's impossible to not talk about property management given how many people's lives were responsible for supporting in that capacity and not go through what, what happened over the past year and what's continuing to happen yeah, and what we're planning away. for the future. So uh, I think he yeah, brought some great perspective to the table and uh, I'm excited. I think we could have had a four-part series to talk to Steve Boyack because they've got so much going he on. He wants to we'll... come back. He wants yeah. more already, which is, is good. For sure. But we'll start with this one. Uh, let's take it away. And for our next guest, we have with us Steve Boyack, CA Ventures President and Global Head of Property Management. Steve, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. Steve, why don't you kick us off by introducing yourself, your background, and how you got to CA? Okay, so I've been uh, in the industry for about 25 years. Um, Entered the business actually out of high school. Just about every position you could on a property from uh, maintenance technician all the way up to leasing assistant manager, manager, and just slowly worked my way through the ranks uh, up until the point where I joined the corporate office as a head of asset management and and then worked my way through several corporate office positions, uh, eventually landing at COO and then CEO roles. Um, and then here I am at CA as, as a president. How I was introduced to CA is uh, at a previous company, one of the business that I, that I was running was an advisory business where we were advising very prolific uh, developers of different product types on how to enter multifamily. And uh, CA just happened to be one of the introductions that we made. And when they started looking at uh, growing into multifamily, uh, I believe I worked on maybe their first four or five projects with them. And 
you know, interestingly, as I came into the office more and more for meetings, I uh, began to see more and more faces of other leaders from past companies that I had done business with uh, who were joining the team in different roles and just became very enamored with the company's uh, ability to attract some of the, really the best people in the industry in each one of those competencies. So when uh, Tom gave me a call and and introduced the idea of starting a property management company to to oversee their student and multifamily properties, domestically got my attention for sure. But when he shared with me that they had aspirations of growing a global portfolio, uh, he fully had my attention. I've been wanting to work in our industry internationally for a long time. So you talked a lot about CA's growth, and this is kind of a common trend that we've discussed with most of our podcast guests so far. What was CA and its management platform when you first started versus what it is now? And kind of just give us the sweeping overview of what services you're providing and uh, where we're operating. So credit needs to be given to the team that was here when I arrived. We had a management capability that was built under our development company on the student side. And the idea was to you know, pull those team members out, form a new organization under my leadership focused on both student, but then also the multifamily that was coming on board. Uh, and at the same time to uh, begin to explore the opportunity to to launch a business in Pan-Europe. We did have management capabilities in Latin America at the time with a small portfolio in Colombia and Chile, uh, which we all ultimately rolled into our management company as well. And in terms of the types of services, I know your team especially really demonstrates CA's commitment to innovation. What do you feel are the biggest changes in the type of services and approach that you offer? Well, you know, our organization is really founded on people, right? So we've been able to attract some of the top talent in the industry, but I think what distinguishes them is both their agility and their their curiosity. You know, this is a, an industry founded in a lot of norms, and it's been a very slow-moving industry when it comes to the application of new ideas or technologies. And really what I wanted to do was come in here with almost a blank slate, you know, use as much of what makes sense that exists in the industry, but really question everything and build a platform from the ground up that's focused on delivering a unique quality of an institutional, but unique quality of service to our clients, whether they're internal or, or external. And you know, some of the key characteristics of that are lean very heavily into a group of people that we've been able to hire, which we refer to as our special services group, when, and they're founded in, in technology and um, in wellness and uh, ESG and other competencies. We really wanted to design a platform that met the clients, and by clients, I mean both the residents of our buildings and uh, our institutional partners and where they were at. And where, where their needs were. We think that there is a lot of change that is coming in our industry. And if we can prepare ourselves to be ready and also be a force of that change, that we can be differentiated. Okay. So, so you talked about kind of the scale of what you're doing. There's a lot of intricacies within uh, the scope of property management services, but you're also doing that for multiple asset classes, despite the fact that they're both living businesses, student and multifamily are two completely different worlds. Can you talk about some of the similarities and differences and synergies that you recognize from an operational perspective? 
Yeah. So, uh, you know, my history has been for the majority of my career in multifamily. So I had a strong foundation there. It's been a gift to be able to learn the student housing business inside and out. And then, you know, back to my comment about curiosity, being able to observe the way business is conducted in Latin America. And then also in Europe, um, it has given us insight into um, what people's different people's needs and wants are. And again, then we could build a platform around that. There's a certain capabilities of all of the vertical competencies that are in most other management companies being able to do accounting, HR, IT. You know, we have the capabilities to do value add through project management. I think what will and, and does distinguish us are some of these other services that we're offering. So we were able to attract somebody to run our ESG platform who has history working with the World Bank on a global scale. Our head of wellness is not only very familiar with well, wellness initiatives in the U.S., but is also leaning very heavily into really both yeah, physical and mental health are really two areas that are, I think, of great interest to us. You talked about you know, pointing out some differences between student and multifamily, I would say prior to the current pandemic that we're in, uh, mental health is a real issue in student housing properties. And I think Europe has done a better job of acknowledging that and meeting the needs of their clients. And so what we're learning there, we're actually able to bring back here and deliver uh, something that I think our market hasn't seen before. So Steve, you've, you've said two things that have piqued my interest and I, I hate trying to beat a dead horse, but I feel that having you as the global head of property management, this is probably a very pertinent question for you, but COVID-19 and the current pandemic that we're in, um, you also mentioned the, the key to CA success and, and continuing to build things is based around the people. So your people were obviously very focused and involved early on in terms of reactions and what we were doing at certain properties. Can you talk a little bit about the role your team played in making sure that our current residents were were taken care of and that we were proactively thinking about their safety in the future. Yeah, so I think we were one of the earlier companies to be addressing COVID and the pandemic with our work overseas. We had team members going back and forth, and so we're able to both observe and you know be in some instances affected by what was going on in Europe. So when we came back to the United States, you know, I spoke earlier about being agile. We were able to round up our team of all these different subject matter expertises and drag in, you know, folks from marketing, from operations and whatever, and not only create an adaptive response to the pandemic that put us in service to our residents, but frankly, first thing was first for us. And it was really addressing the needs and health security of our employees, you know, not dissimilar to being on a plane and putting your mask on first. I wanted to make sure that the hundreds of folks that we have in the field were safe and secure and comfortable coming to work so that they could serve uh, our residents well. And so we put together programs to support those employees. We modified our levels of service, put together teams of people that were either in the office or out of the office at dissimilar times. So they, if anybody was to get exposed, we would always have hands on deck. You know, we called upon our innovation group to take both technologies that we already had at work in the field, but also some that we uh, were either exploring or had in beta tests and really put them to work for us. That was probably one of the more interesting learnings that we had was, you know, this idea that all of these new technologies that we had in place uh, were only being used uh, at a very small portion of their capabilities. Uh, you know, one of the technologies that stands out in my mind that we were 
really able to put to work for us was our closed circuit television systems. You know, we had been doing a lot of work to modernize those systems and uh, were able to take what has historically been a very passive system, more of an observant report type technology and turn it into a multiple of our employees, right? So all of a sudden you have cameras that would typically re record events and you'd have to go seek out those behaviors when they were reported to you to one that is actually at work for you. So our camera systems can now do things like count the number of occupants in a space. So as we put in place uh, occupancy limits in different common areas before they were you know, closed down in, in, in their entirety, we were able to have the cameras tell us when we were reaching occupancy limits. Um, you know, unfortunately, during some of the social unrest that's happened in the last couple of months, we also had those cameras able to tell us when populations were starting to aggregate in areas at, at numbers that we weren't comfortable with. Um, so instead of immediately jumping in with additional cost of security and, and other human capital, we were putting the technologies that uh, we'd already invested in in place and, and expanding their capabilities to meet the needs that we had at any given time. A couple of other things that are probably worth noting is, um, you know, we, we already had pretty strong programs in place for things like virtual leasing, uh, a lot of touch-free technologies in our portfolio. But, you know, the pa pandemic called on us to actually accelerate a lot of the rollout of those programs. And it's, it's been really great to see our team respond well. People are resistant to change at times, and we're a pretty prolific idea-generating group of people. And so oftentimes the number of ideas that we can generate at any given time can be a little bit daunting. And, and during COVID, as we brought ideas to the table, people were grabbing them and running with them. It, it created a really ramped up innovative time for us that I think we learned a ton from. I think you and I talked a lot about that over the summer, kind of in peak uh, COVID days of, you know, if if you're going to try something, if you're going to be creative, now is the time to do it. And I think your team did a great job of really running with that. Um, you touched on something that I, I was hoping to get to next. So great segue, leasing. You know, when Michael Hales was here, he talked about leasing and occupancy in the student portfolio from a quantitative perspective. But there's obviously been a lot of qualitative traits that have come up both with student and multifamily. Um, and just in terms of how people are making decisions, what do they want in terms of units and leases? And I was hoping you could shine some light onto the insights that you've gathered over the past almost a year now. Yeah, so there's a lot of layers to that question for sure. And there's a lot of different answers uh, from one property type to the next. You know, on the student housing side, really for us, it was making sure that our marketing was properly oriented to get to people and uh you know, we initiated some programs around health security and both for the the parents and the students who would be coming out of the property to make sure that we had all the appropriate things in place to make sure that they were, were comfortable. We had nine new deliveries this year, 13 total takeovers. And, you know, with the nine new deliveries, we had to design and carry out a touch-free move-in program. And that was certainly something to see. Um, <laughs> but what was more interesting is not, not just the doing of it, but actually the recording of the event, right? So making sure that we were, were present in the chaos and taking note of uh, the things that were working well, the things that weren't working well. 
you know, one of the distinctions of, of this portfolio is having properties all over the country and now the world that are all doing things or having, you know, significant events at different times. So when you have a major move-in event in the U.S. and maybe uh, European move-ins are at a different time, those folks could share ideas with each other and share outcomes so that, you know, we can multiply our efforts for sure. We found that on the student side, in, in most of the markets, people were, you know, really hesitant to sign up. The industry and not just us responded with changes, programmatic changes, things like, you know, COVID-related lease breaks and whatnot uh, to help people gain comfort in signing leases. But we really did see the velocity slow down. And then once the schools made their decisions about what they were going to do, the students responded in kind and we saw our leasing numbers dramatically trend up. But, you know, the, the work that we did ahead of time with making sure that we had in place uh, all of these virtual capabilities, I think, allowed us to perform just a little bit better than our competitors in the majority of our markets. Now, on the multifamily side, it's a little bit of a different story. Our portfolio today has a tendency to be very class A, but nonetheless, lots of distress in that industry with the eviction moratoriums, lots of issues to deal with, you know, people who, who had needs for sure, but certainly also folks who were taking advantage of regulations that were being put in place. So a lot for us to learn, a lot of uh, strong management to make sure that we had the folks in the buildings uh, that really deserve to be in the buildings and, and were participating. I would say that there was a rush to uh, size, you know, when people's leases were coming up. And in some cases, even prior, we were receiving a lot of requests from people as their employers were allowing them to work either temporarily or permanently from home to gain more space. You know, studios certainly have become less popular. Uh, one bedroom dens, two bedrooms, two bedroom dens. Certainly a lot of upward pressure, people wanting to upgrade their living space. So Steve, certainly differences between student and multifamily here in the United States, but certainly your, you know, kudos to your team for for taking care of the residents. Me being one of them, I'm always much appreciated. Would love to actually have you, you know, enhance the conversation there a little bit and talk about the difference in approach to Europe and maybe being, you know, that you're historically been in the U.S. and now have the opportunity to cover the Europe. What's what's the main difference there between the U.S. and Europe from a property management standpoint? Well, I would say the biggest difference is the nascency of the industry there. You know, whether you're talking about uh, student housing, which uh, they refer to as PBSA, or whether you're talking about multifamily housing, which they refer to as BTR, I think they're currently in a rebranding uh, and European on BTR because it's not the sexiest uh, thing to call multifamily housing. You know, I would say the, the biggest difference is the nascency for sure. Student housing has been around for just a few minutes over there. Multifamily certainly is just kicking off. And so, you know, myself having been in the industry for over 25 years, I would tell you that working in Europe feels very much like the U.S. 25 years ago. One of the things that I think the U.S. does very well as an industry is is sharing ideas and sharing data and sharing technology. And, and Europe is very much the opposite. Folks that we have met with over there are you know, very in love with their ideas. They think they're the only one with the idea. It's the best idea. You know, And you have us on the other side of the table thinking that that idea is 15 years old. Uh, and we, <laughs> and we, so you're saying that's not a cultural trait. That's a trait of the industry being in its infancy in comparison to 
Yeah, 100%, 100%. So, you know, the idea that as you are performing on an asset that you would share your performance data and tell people what your rents are, what your occupancies are, that is a very foreign idea to them where, you know, here it's freely and openly shared and multiple companies have created industries around the collection and dissemination of that data. And so not to mention the industry call that was happening during, you know, peak COVID days of all the top operators getting together and actually helping each other. So complete day and night. You know, that's worth spending a minute on because kudos to the industry. It was very impressive effort. You know, we have a lot of industry organizations that typically sponsor this type of behavior, but kudos to the few industry leaders who actually took it upon themselves to schedule these calls at such an unprecedented time and come together and share ideas and share data. And, you know, nobody's idea was held to their own. They were all shared freely and it allowed an entire industry to to care for one of the largest populations in the U.S. in a very beautiful way. And so... But it also allowed everybody at a time where some of those companies that gather data were their mechanisms were breaking down. Information needed to be shared really real time. So these calls were happening every couple of days and people were sharing. Um, and I think it really allowed the industry as a whole to respond and have the outcome that they did, which we're not through it yet, but has certainly got us to a place, I think, maybe of normalcy within the pandemic where people are less reactionary and now are just really able to focus on care. And I'll hold you to this. When will we be through this? <laughs> I'm just kidding. His, I will, don't answer ball. it. I will not put you on the spot. <laughs> but you know what? We, we joke about this, but you know, it's not post-COVID. I love that term because we're very much so living COVID still, right? right? In the middle of it. Um, but what you're saying is that we're prepared for almost anything at this point. I think it would take a lot to knock our teams down after what they've been through over the past year. You know, there is a protocol at this place for about anything. There are people who, again, are team leads for different subject matters who, you know, if we were thrown the next loop, which, you know, again, knock on wood, it could happen. At least there's base level protocols in place. At least there's people who, you know, either already were subject matter experts or have become subject matter experts. The last thing we want to do is have a population of folks in the field who are all out having to educate and execute of their own accord. This is not about us having, you know, entirely one way of doing things, but if we can keep the people in the field free to execute on their day-to-day jobs and not become experts on immunizations or, you know, COVID travel pass, or is it, is it surface or is it aerosol or, you know, (laughs) we could have, (laughs) we could have teams of people here focused on that stuff and help educate them the best that we can. So we've spent a lot of time talking about the resident perspective and staffing. Um, You also have another enormous, very important audience, which is our capital partners. So you're kind of reporting at all angles at all times. What was that like during COVID days? And um, how do you kind of manage those competing priorities? Well, sometimes they're competing, but priorities from resident requests, staff requests, ownership requests. You know, so I think our response to our capital partners is very similar to the rest. One of the core philosophies of our organization is trying to be of service to people. And, you know, there's two ways of thinking around this, which I hope this answers your question. But, you know, you can be at somebody's service, which a lot of the companies I've worked at over the years have a tendency to be at the service of our investment partners, which means they ask for something and we provide it. The significance of the difference of the way we like to run our portfolio of being of service to 
to people is to anticipate their needs. One of our core philosophies as we're going through this is what is everybody thinking? You know, on the investment side of our business, everybody's got a boss. So whether it's our asset managers or our capital partners, they have people that they also want to inform what's going on. We made sure to create through our marketing and PR groups, regular calls for them as well. We had tracking mechanisms where, you know, people in the field could record information and they could be accessed by anybody within our senior team or our investment partners so that they can get the answers they needed on a self-serve basis. But also we were having daily calls and then ultimately over time transitioned to, I think, three times a week, then two than one, we were funneling as much information up as quickly as we could so that we could make sure that everybody was comfortable with our response. You know, you mentioned, Steve, the fast forwarding of maybe some initiatives throughout COVID and having to start projects that maybe were down the line, but COVID kind of brought them to your team sooner. You're obviously learning on a daily basis and, and finding new things. If you think about your team right now, you know what new initiatives um, do you guys have on the horizon and then maybe that excite you for the future of CA Management Services? You know, I think one of the biggest things that excites me for our company, but frankly for the industry as well, is more of a focus on integrative technologies. As the world of technology has opened up for our industry, which, as I said earlier, is traditionally been a very late mover, there has been tens and hundreds of millions of dollars pouring into property technology or prop tech as they call it. And so there's been a lot of single use applications that have been developed, which have been, you know, fantastic and transformative, uh, but where the real power of any of these technologies happens is when they integrate with each other. And so that's where the conversation is going to. And thankfully, COVID, I think, is advancing that a little bit, where many of the purse strings and decision makers who didn't believe that people could work from home uh, and are now convinced that they can and they understand what a Zoom call is, are willing to open their minds up to additional technologies. And so maybe an example is, you know, many of us have a smart thermostat in their home which is great. But when your thermostat can talk to your stereo, can talk to your lights, can talk to your car, and as you're approaching your house, all of those things start happening, that's a much more delightful experience than just walking into the house and it's the right temperature. The ability to really transform the workday for our employees exists within this opportunity to integrate. And I think it's where a lot of the juice is left to squeeze for the built environment. So if we can continue to make advancements in these areas through the applications of different technologies, technologies and sensors and whatnot, I think we create some real efficiencies, which will obviously result in some more NOI. But the other side of that as well is we're always looking to try and satisfy all three of our clients, right? So you have your institutional partners who we can bring in these you know, adaptive technologies, will actually move NOI for them so they get better returns. Our residents, through the example that I just gave, now have buildings that are not just reacting to them, but are learning them. And to use the words I used earlier, now the building is of service to the resident and they almost have a friction experience in that building. Now they're delighted. They realize they can't get that experience somewhere else. They'll pay more. They'll stay longer. And then for our employees, who I do have a lot of concern for over the longer term, because a lot of our employees on the maintenance side of our business are aging out. We're having a hard time bringing those folks in. The requirements of the business for a lot of our frontline office staff workers and, and service providers are changing. So the more lower value tasks that we can reduce from their day and replace them with high value tasks or opportunities to interact with residents in meaningful ways through this integrative technology will hopefully provide them more satisfaction in their work and we'll have stickier employees. 
So, you know, th these are just a very few examples of uh, the many, many different things that we're working on. Uh, I think 5G technology is super interesting and it'll provide a lot of opportunities to turbocharge buildings, but also create additional revenue streams for owners and the list goes on and on. When you frame it like that, it seems like a no brainer in terms of the investment into prop tech because you're meeting the needs of everybody involved, right? And to your point, it's as an industry, right? We're, we're always helping each other to raise the bar and CA can kind of be at the front lines of that. I think it's super exciting. One of the things that I've been most impressed with um, within your team is your approach to researching, identifying these potential strategic partners or uh, service providers, vendors. You guys have talked to a lot of people over the span of the past two, three years, call it. Can you give us kind of an overview of your process and how do you evaluate these opportunities and how do you make decisions about what we actually implement within our portfolio? Sure. Well, and it starts with discipline, right? You know, one of, I think, the biggest negatives to prop tech is the rapid implementation of some of these newfangled things. And either the product or the company wasn't properly uh, underwritten to understand if it was going to be long lasting or was properly capitalized. Would it even work? I, I can't tell you how many products people have brought to us that were super interesting. But if you spend more than 15 minutes with them, they don't integrate into any of our technologies and would actually end up causing more work for our employees. So we have a very disciplined approach to this. We have a team of people um, who spend a good amount of time interviewing the different areas of our business to find out where the problems really lie. Because if somebody brings you a new piece of technology or a new product, but there's no problem, then you're just wasting money, right? So we try to define the problem. And then we go through kind of exhaustive research on the, the companies, see who their founders were, what's their backgrounds, how are they capitalized, who are their partners. And then we dig into the technology itself and see, do we think that it will solve a problem? Do we think that it will be long lasting? And then, you know, to what we talked about a minute ago, how many people does it provide benefit to? Because if it's just making the operator of the building's job a little bit easier, it's probably not the right technology for us. If it checks the box of driving some revenue or creating some expense savings and maybe helps the uh, employees. That's probably something we should look at. But if you can add a layer of benefit to the residents and say, hey, this is a 10 for the residents, it's a 10 for the owners, and it's 10 for the operators, exactly what you said. It's, it becomes a why wouldn't we do this? And then, frankly, we, mm -hmm. we look a little bit harder because once it gets super attractive, you want to make sure that this thing's truly going to become part of the fabric of your organization. And so we have a process of vetting them, and then we put them into beta tests, and then we ultimately will do a rollout for them if they pass our beta testing. But one of the things that I've learned that would be a strong recommendation to anybody else trying to put together a process around this is not to pass judgment too early. Because I, looking back on my own failings earlier in my career, I would see or hear a product and I would form an opinion of that product. And then maybe a year or two later, somebody would ask me my opinion. And it's not like other parts of your life where things don't change. Technology is moving so quickly uh, that I've made the mistake before of sharing my opinion about something I didn't dive into and become a client of. And uh, to go back to look at the product and see that all of the feedback that we'd given those companies they had taken to heart and actually had improved their products. And so we keep detailed records uh, of everybody we've looked at. And when they call us back in six months or a year, we take another meeting. We pull up our, our notes, see why we didn't like them before, what the pinch points were, and we reevaluate them and then put those in our notes. So we have a, a really solid database of 
boy, probably a couple thousand companies uh, today. And we constantly revisit, we constantly look for new problems. And, and when people bring us a fresh problem, we actually go back to the database first. I love that. Seems like a very fine line between vetting quickly because there's so many options, but also not passing judgment, as you said, too quickly. And so you guys clearly have a very uh, well-defined process and you're doing great things for our residents and and capital partners and, and staff. Another audience here that's benefiting from the value that you're providing is the owners that we are um, under contract with from a third-party management standpoint. So that is something that has evolved within the property management platform since you started. Do you want to talk a little bit about the dynamic of third-party management services and the team that you've built today? Yeah, so that's probably another, you know, top three key differentiator of our company as a whole is that, you know, this curiosity, this agility has really led us down the road of building a platform that's adaptive to any of our clients. You know, I've worked for some of the biggest companies in the world and I've worked for mid-sized companies and they had a, a necessity oftentimes to build a platform that only supports one way of doing business or potentially maybe a few, but when a client comes to you with a, a really interesting asset that has very specific needs, or if they have partners that have specific needs or want you know, certain types of adaptions to the reporting that they're looking for, reporting timelines or any of that, uh, many of these companies can't provide that type of service because they just have one type of business that they stamp out. And so we really wanted to make sure that our business was focused on clients' needs, right? So there are any one of a number of ways that we can put together business plans for specific assets or you know terms of relationships with our clients so that we're actually delivering on what their wants and needs are and not what our wants and needs are. So yeah, pretty proud of the group of people that we've been able to put together. I think there's some of the most forward-thinking people out in the industry. They certainly know their markets inside and out. And I think we'll be able to deliver at the highest level for all of our clients. It's a lot of customization. You're nuanced by market, by asset class, by owner, and you're adapting to uh, whoever needs you. Students, uh, multifamily, Europe, US, third party, your, your team has their hands busy. Well, you know, what's interesting is in a lot of marketing materials around property management companies that I've seen in the past, they always want to tout you know, how many hundreds of years of experience they have in the room. And we certainly could throw that stat around as well. But really for our group, it's about experiences, right? If you were to survey the group and look at, you know, product types and markets and asset classes, the amount of intelligence and creativity that we're able to bring to the table in any given meeting, I think, is one of the real differentiators of us. And so where all of these adaptations to others might seem daunting, to us because of the way that we've set up our platform, not so much. It's it's exciting, actually. So we tell everyone CA Ventures is a vertically integrated company. I think your explanation today of what you and your team are doing really helps kind of show what that vertical integration means for us. We started this podcast with a popular question that I quickly realized was probably a little wrong in timing, but it's where do you see you and your team moving? We started out with 12 months, then we kind of pushed some verticals out to five years. So I'm going to give you, you know, as property management and constantly evolving, where do you see your team in the next 24 to 36 months? 
Ooh, thanks for the extra giddy up there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he has a crystal ball though. Yeah. So, okay. you know, this, is an, this is an easy question for Boya. <laughs> I gotta do I gotta do the the math on the exponential nature of three years. Uh, you Capital know partners are now calling asking about this crystal ball too. Right. <laughs> So one of the things that we really focused on was scalability of our platform, right? So we have probably one of the most metrically based executions that, that certainly I've ever seen in my career. So we are poised uh, to grow very, very quickly. So in the next two to three years, you know, domestically here on the student housing side, I, I'm going to project that we're probably going to be at least three times our size from a bed count standpoint on the multifamily side, I think we'll probably be somewhere around 15 to 20,000 uh, units under management, whether those are our owned or third party managed. And then Europe is interesting because we could look at it on a country by country basis, or my simple answer would be, we'll probably be servicing uh, eight to 10 countries in pan-Europe and maybe three to five cities in each one of those countries. And we're looking at the very edge of three years out, we're probably looking expanding to a fourth continent. Wow. Sounds exciting. Big plans. There's no technology in his prediction for the future because he's already living in the future. His <laughs> phone, his house, his Crystal car, ball. All, all working together to make his life easier. That it's is not my situation time. at all. <laughs> thank you so much for joining Steve, us. Thank you for Steve. joining. My pleasure. Thank you guys.